Thanks for downloading this week's podcast from Crossroads. We are glad you took the time to listen. As you tune in today, if you need encouragement or prayer, please reach out to us by texting 864-288-1626. Or you can find out more information at our website, hope at crossroads.org. Spread the word to your friends. Let them know they can subscribe at Apple Podcasts or on Spotify. Videos of our messages are also online at hope at crossroads.org. And now, here's this week's podcast. Amen. It's good to see you this morning, Crossroads. If you have your Bible, if you'll open up to Ephesians. You should know that by now. Ephesians, Ephesians, yes, yes, Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 6, we're going to look at that in just a minute. Uh, I uh, so appreciate Joey's sensitivity to the Holy Spirit and uh, Vicki and Lynn and Jeannie uh, every week faithfully playing and our praise team leading us in worship. Uh, I still see some of you that you want to worship and you've the Baptist, and then some of you kind of, you know, trying to do this, and then some of you have the sway. Folks, it's okay. It's okay, all right? Be free to worship. Be free to worship. That is a, another tool. We may go through a sermon series about worship at some point, but that's another tool that the Lord gives us to attack the enemy. We have been going through Ephesians, and um, uh, really the catalyst for this study, just so let me remind you, was a conversation that I had with one of our missionaries in uh, the Dominican Republic, uh, when I was watching a group of, of young kids, seven, eight, and nine, who were at Bible camp, and after about an hour, they're still hanging on every single word that's being taught and spoke and preached. And uh, I was kind of mesmerized and just like, I don't understand how in the world, why they're so attentive. And he said, well, they, they realize they don't have many options in the third world. They learn about God and let God transform their lives or they may wind out on the streets. And then the next quote that he said was one that has continued to resonate in my heart. Uh, and he hasn't had the chance to come to America, but one of the things that he said is, maybe the church uh, in North America is more concerned with creating church members than warriors. And when I heard that, I started going, wow, maybe there's a little bit of truth to that. And I started really praying and asking God what he would want us to go through these weeks. And that's why we've landed in Ephesians. Uh, we have gone through, thank you Cole for reading, all the, the tools that we have, putting on the armor of God, and we get to this week, and finally after hearing about all the defensive weapons that we have as soldiers in God's army, Paul finally turns his attention to an offensive weapon that we have, and that's what we're going to talk about um, this morning. And uh, I think we may have a fully attired Roman soldier that has come back from time to come stand before us in full, in full gear this morning. So uh, here we are with uh, the shield of faith, the breastplate of I could use a little work, suck it in. Breastplate of righteousness, <laughs> breastplate of righteousness that he's got on. He's got the sword, the helmet of salvation, the shoes shod with the gospel of peace, and uh, the, full, the full outfit there. So let me read those verses again now that you're seeing it, and uh, see if you can see what is mentioned here in these verses Paul says, take up the full armor of God that you may be able to resist in the evil day and having done everything to stand firm. Stand firm, verse 14, therefore having girded your loins with truth, you got on the belt of truth under there somewhere, I'm not going to look, the belt of truth under there, 
having put on the breastplate of righteousness and having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace, in addition to all taking up the shield of faith, which which you will be able to extinguish the, the flaming missiles of the evil one, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. So this is perhaps what uh, the Roman soldier would have looked a little bit like, uh, minus the shoes. He probably wouldn't have had on the nice moccasins that you've got on, but who knows. Um, and so this is kind of what they would look like. Now, I think maybe we have a modern-day warrior who's getting ready to come out with his modern-day uh, garb on. You got it ready back there? Almost, just about, just about, because I know for some of us, we maybe don't think back to Roman times and we're wondering, what would that look like in 2021? Well, we're going to give you a visual maybe of what that looks like in 2021. And uh, the Kevlar outfit on here, this is the Brett, suck it in, breastplate of righteousness, helmet of salvation, uh, shoes of peace right there. So this kind of gives you a little bit of a visual when you, when you read the scripture I don't know about you, but I'm a visual learner. So I try to put all the senses in and think about, okay, what were people smelling when Paul's talking? What were they seeing? What were they hearing? And more than likely, no offense, they probably were looking more like this than this. But I want to just share with you today, and if for nobody else in our church family, if this passage has only been good for one of your pastors then it's been well worth it for me. Because I've gone through Ephesians a lot, but for some, some reason this study has really brought to light a lot of things that we're talking about. So I hope that for you, as you visually see these things, it will, it will help you. Thank you. Give these guys a big, a big hand. And uh, we're going to talk this morning. We have a saying in our group, all the, all the gear all the time, all the armor all the time. Oh, yes, yes. Thank you. Thank you, Lyle. We're going to be talking about this morning the sword of the spirit. Now you you notice the sword that that Corey bring me that bring me that sword again real quick if you would the sword that Corey brought out. We we think we think that this is what Paul is talking about in this passage because you could do some damage with that right there, right? That's actually not the sword that he's talking about. Soldiers carried two uh, swords. They had a long sword like this one, but then they had this sword. That looks kind of more like a dagger. I would call that a dagger. And what Paul is actually talking about in this passage is not so much this one, because you could do some damage with that if, if you knew how to handle this one effectively. But the sword that he's talking about is this much shorter one. And this sword... And uh, this, is, this is about a foot. It might have been a little bit longer. Bible scholars say maybe 18 inches long. Because this is a sword that... Uh, uh, this is called the, the gladius. was not the medieval style long sword usually associated that we think of when we think of the armor of God. The Roman sword was probably light. It may have been maybe two pounds. It was made of uh, iron. And a blacksmith would heat this sword up and uh, get it red hot, and then sprinkle some coal dust on there to strengthen it and make it really strong. And the handle of the sword probably wasn't made out of this nice gold plastic. Uh, but the, the handles were made out of wood, bone, ivory, uh, iron. 
And so it was used for defense, and a soldier would skillfully use this sword. And as I was studying about this, it's interesting that the shorter one was an indicator of something. And, and, and if this is the only thing that I learned from this study about the sword, it was powerful to me. Because it meant that more than likely, if you had the sword, you were going to have some up-close battle. I don't know about you, but if you're not in an up-close battle with the enemy, then maybe the enemy has no reason to be in a battle with you. And so that's what we're going to talk about a little bit uh, this morning. This was the sword, by the way, that when you read in the scripture where Peter was in the garden and they came to arrest Jesus and Peter pulled out his sword and cut the ear off, this was probably the kind of sword that he had. So he knew how to use it. Because if he'd had a sword that long, he'd have probably cut more than the ear. Probably took the head off of the soldier. So this is what we're talking about this morning. As you think about that, here's my question to you this morning. Just because you and I have a Bible, maybe you have many. Maybe there's some at your house have dust collecting on them. But just because you have a Bible doesn't mean you have a sword. And my fear and my concern, and I'll be honest, even in my own life, I just, as I've gone through the study, just thought how, how much I don't know about God's Word that I wish I knew. Because this is our offensive weapon, and we're going to talk about that this morning. As soldiers in God's army, it's our responsibility to be able to know how to use this, and our duty to be able to use it to discern truth and to be able to follow it. Um, And when you read this in this passage of Scripture, and you get down to verse 17, and it says, Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. There's a couple of words, Greek words, when you hear the phrase, the Word of God in the New Testament that are used. There's one word most of us probably know called logos. And it's used all throughout when it talks about when Jesus said he was the word. That's logos that you see there all throughout the New Testament. The most of the time you see word of God, it's logos. In this passage, it's actually a different word. It's rema. R-H-E-M-A. So when he says what you need to do is pick up the sword of the spirit, the word of God, he's actually saying rema, which actually translated is not just the word of God, although this is the word of God. He's saying the words of God. In other words, this is not just one sword, this is many swords, if we know God's Word. Does that make sense this morning? So this is many swords. Let me give you an example. If you've got uh, your finger there, hold it right there in the Bible, and you can flip back over to Matthew chapter 4. The Bible literally is an arsenal filled with swords. It provides us all the ammunition that we need to be able to combat against the enemy. And Jesus shows us this example in Matthew chapter 4 of how the Word of God actually is many swords. You'll remember the story. Jesus was led out into the wilderness to be tempted. And Satan tried to tempt him. And after he had fasted for 40 days and 40 nights, he got hungry. Verse 3 of chapter 4, Matthew says, The tempter came and said to him, If you're the Son of God, command these stones to become bread. But Jesus answered and said, It is written, Man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. There's sword number one. Satan comes and takes him to the holy city and has him stand on the pinnacle of the temple. And he says to him, Hey, if you're the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written. By the way, this is Satan getting ready to quote Scripture. And most of the time when he does that, it's out of context and it's actually not the full scripture. It's twisted scripture because he did that in Genesis. And we're going to study Genesis starting in January. He did that with Adam and Eve. He 
They thought he was kind of quoting Scripture, but he twisted Scripture. If you're a young person in here under the age of 20, get ready for a culture that is going to sound like they're using Jesus' words, but you better dig a little bit deeper because they're going to be twisting them. And it's going to sound spiritual, and it's going to sound correct, and it's going to sound biblical, but it's not going to be if you do your homework and if you know what the Word of God truly says. And so Satan says to him in verse 6, It's written, He will give His angels charge concerning you, and on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. And Jesus said, uh, On the other hand, it's written, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. And the devil took him again to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, All these things will I give you if you will fall down and worship me. Are you picturing what's happening here? The great deceiver, Satan, is trying to convince Jesus Christ, the king of the world, to bow down and worship him. Some gall, isn't it? And Jesus says to him, Be gone, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God and serve him only. And the devil left him and angels began to minister to him. Just a quick example from Matthew's gospel about how Jesus shows us the example of using many swords. We can defend ourselves with the Bible, with the sword of the Spirit, but we have to know what the sword says. We have to know what God's Word says. And the Bible also says in the book of Hosea that most oftentimes... We are destroyed by our lack of knowledge. You know, we as Christians, we get to be sometimes so fearful about culture and the world and the things that the devil is doing. And those are things that we need to be concerned about. But I think one of the greatest ways that we're going to get overcome and we're going to get defeated is by our own ignorance, by my own ignorance of the lack of God's word. Because we have the tool here. At our disposal, but we have to know what God's Word says. We can be destroyed. We can be, also be blessed by God's Word and God's knowledge of the Word. So again, swords are for close, this kind of sword is for close combat. This is not long-range missile warfare. This is for close combat. So if you feel like after this week you've been in a battle with the enemy, congratulations, you are a soldier of the Lord. Now, hopefully you are a warrior who is effectively wielding this sword in the battle that you face. So what do we need to know about this sword? Let me share a few things very quickly with you this morning. Here's the first one. The Word of God is alive. There's no other book that can claim this. The Word of God is alive. It is active. It is breathing. It's the living Word of God. Some other things I could say about it around this whole, uh, this whole aspect of being alive is it's infallible. If you check out Psalm 19.7, it's inerrant, Proverbs chapter 30. There's going to be a culture uh, that's coming our way of preachers and teachers who are going to start telling you, and if you ever hear this from this pulpit, which you, you won't as long as the current pastoral staff is here, because I know them and they know me, But if you ever start hearing or on television or on radio, any things that start to say, well, this book is about 80% right, or it's got some errors, or it's not really the full truth, it's just one truth, then you better turn that off, or you better leave that place that you're at. And folks, it's coming. 
It's coming. I'm having conversations with pastor friends that I thought stood upon the inerrant, infallible Word of God who are starting to sway in their thinking. If there's no standard for truth, what is truth? Because truth can be your truth or my truth. We talked about that when we talked about the belt of truth. But the ultimate source of truth comes from this book, the infallible, inerrant, alive Word of God. One way it's alive is it guides me. David said this in Psalm 119. Thy word is a light unto my feet and a lamp unto my path. Thy word I hide in my heart that I might not sin against thee. So God's Word is alive. It's authoritative. If it wasn't authoritative, I could just get up here every Sunday and speak from the Five Forks Gazette. And we could just talk about... We could talk about the weather. We could talk about the wonderful, you know, traffic problems that we have on Anderson Ridge. I mean, I could just talk about whatever. That wouldn't do any of us any good. The only thing that will help build us up and help make us warriors for Jesus is being in this book. The authoritative, inerrant, infallible Word of God. This is the truth. And so it's alive. And it's active. Hebrews 4.12 says it this way. The Word of God is quick and powerful. It's sharper than any two-edged sword. That's why some people think that Paul wrote Hebrews. We really don't know, but some people think that Paul wrote Hebrews because he talks about a two-edged sword, and then here in Ephesians, he's talking about a sword. Who knows? I don't know. We've tried, they've tried to figure out for years who actually wrote it. I kind of think he might have had a part of Hebrews, but the Word of God is powerful. It's sharper than any two-edged sword. It says in Hebrews, piercing and dividing Soul and spirit, joint and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intentions of the heart. I don't know if this happens to you in your culture with with your friends, but I was talking to a young 20-something this week who's trying to live for the Lord, and they said some of their friends were just uh, not hardly giving them the time of day and would often just say, well, you're just being judgmental. And this person I was talking to said, I haven't even said anything to be judgmental about to them. I'm just trying to love them. And what I told them was, you know what's so awesome? A person who lives according to the truth of God's Word and the power of God's Word can bring such conviction upon people who are lost that they will look upon us that are saved that know Jesus and will claim we're being judgmental even though we might not be being judgmental. It's just the Spirit of God in us that comes into the presence of that person who doesn't know Jesus and they feel conviction. There's a difference, by the way, between conviction and condemnation. But that's the power of the God's Word being alive and it is powerful. Number two, it's powerful. Remember John 1.1 1, 1 says this, Remember the Word was with God and the Word was God. The Word has the power of God because Jesus is the Word. It's powerful. No doubt you, hopefully, and I for sure, am here and know Jesus as a result of one thing. You know what it is? The power of the Word of God that was preached or maybe lived out in front of me, or demonstrated by a friend, and I saw the Word of God being lived and fleshed out in a person, and because of the power of God's Word being truth, and the Spirit of God in my life, I surrendered my life to Jesus. That's a powerful Word. I didn't go to a service and hear Aesop's fables, and all of a sudden walk down front and go, Oh, I need to give my life to God. No other book has that power. No other book has sustained criticism for centuries and centuries and still exists. I love these things. And I love the fact that we can get the Bible app. And I love that. So do not hear me saying I'm, I, I don't, I'm not appreciative of that. I, I, I love that. I'm a technological guy. I love technology. 
But there's something about having this right here. I'm not saying you have to come to, I'm not saying you have to come to worship and have to bring your Bible. It might be helpful. I, I, I'm not endorsing this movie, okay? And it would be for those that are 21 and over. So we'll, we'll edit this out of the video, baby. But this, this comes to mind. There's a movie Denzel Washington is in called The Book of Eli. It's very gory. I don't recommend it. This is not an endorsement of the pastor of Crossroads, okay? But the whole gist of that movie is that there's one copy of God's Word left on the planet after the end of the world. And it gets destroyed because there is no technology. And people are walking around and they're begging, they're hungry, they're, they want to be saturated with something that's truth. And you get to the end of the movie, I'll go ahead and tell you the punchline, spoiler alert, so you don't have to sit through the gore, And because it's, it's, it is a rated R movie. Yes, your pastor has seen a rated R movie, I repent, forgive me. But at the end of the movie, when he finally gets to what's the promised land, which is supposedly in San Francisco somewhere, and he checks into this building and he's trying to get there before people kill him because they know the only remaining copy of God's Word, he is memorized. And he walks in and he sits down, and he's blind, by the way. He walks in and sits down at the table, and he just starts going, in the beginning. And the guys start pulling out pens, and they just start writing, and he just starts quoting. Now, you may say, that's kind of far-fetched, is it? It's amazing how the world freaked out a few weeks ago when Facebook and Instagram and all that stuff went down. I'll be honest, I was scrambling a little bit because I thought, I've got a lot of great pictures that are, that are only on Facebook that I don't have copies of anymore. What if the only copy of God's Word, what if you only had one copy? I think our overabundance of having God's Word in North America makes us underappreciate the powerfulness of it. Because when you're in countries like our friend Pastor Mark, in Malawi, Africa, who I hope you saw the letter that kind of floated around our church, that our church sent uh, money for 210 Bibles in Chichewa, their native tribal language, and for the first time, they can actually hold a Bible in their language, and they hold it against their body, and they're weeping because it's the only copy of God's Word they've ever had. Wow. Starts to make you really question how much you believe that this is a powerful book. It contains tons of promises. Like Matthew 24, 13, He who endures to the end will be saved. Romans 8, 31, one of my favorite verses. What shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? Powerful Word of God. But number three, God's Word, the sword of the Spirit, the Word of God is also dividing. It divides like a sword divides into flesh. God's Word will divide light from darkness. And it convicts. And when God's word shows us something about ourselves, oftentimes we like for God's word to show us something about somebody else. But when God's word reveals something about ourselves that is wrong or incorrect, or there's an area of darkness in our lives and it shows us and it divides us, it convicts us, then we can use this almost like a surgical weapon to cut out the darkness out of our hearts. So the Word of God is dividing. 
We can remove, as Paul said in 2 Corinthians, those offending thoughts and actions surgically is kind of the term that he uses in 2 Corinthians by using and getting into and knowing God's word. Number four, the word of God is discerning. It's discerning. Nothing is hidden from this truth. It's, it's like not just like a, a flashlight or a, a spot. It's like a floodlight on the world. And we can take this word and we can hold it up and we can almost shine it out to the world. And what it does is it is discerning for us to help us understand that the enemy never has a secret or never has an agenda that is outside the understanding and the victory of God's will. It's very frustrating as one of the pastors and being a pastor for people to say to me after their life gets in chaos to say, well, I just didn't know the Bible said anything about that. And while I have sympathy, because I'm just as guilty sometimes, the reality is the Bible has a lot to say about a lot. We just have to get in there and dig in there and find out what it has to say. Because it will help us. It will help us navigate life and it will help us discern what is right and what is wrong. We are to use the Word of God, Paul is telling us, to discern our thoughts and our attitudes that are contrary to God's way, and our thoughts and attitudes that are in culture that are contrary to God's way. And to use this sword, in another place he says this, to bring every thought captive to the mind of Christ. How do we do that? We have to have the mind of God. How do we have the mind of God? We have to have the heart of God. How do we get the mind and the heart of God? We get into this. It's so simple, but we so complicate it. I mean, all the answers are right here. And as I've been studying this, I'll be honest, I have been convicted in thinking about how often and how much time I spend on social media or on TV or on this or that compared to the Word of God. And I'll be honest, I'll tell you this, if you and I spend several hours a week on social media and less than five minutes on God's Word, I can give you a 100% money-back guarantee on how your life is ultimately going to end and how mine is going to end. It's going to be called crash and burn. I'm not saying that to be judgmental. I'm saying that based on the authoritative word of God because this is the soil where we plant our seed into this book, into the truth of what God has to say to us. So what should we do? What, what's our response? What are we, how, do we, how do we respond to what Paul is saying here? It's interesting. Because Roman soldiers could not go into battle without extensive training on how to use this. And before they actually got extensive training on this, they had extensive training on this. Why? Because this is bigger and harder to wield around. And actually, before they could get extensive training on this, because these were uh, obviously a lot heavier, they also were able to use the, the shields that were made of wicker and wood that Ronnie so gratefully brought out for us last week that is very heavy. And these items were typically, the swords that they would give him to start learning how to fight, were typically about twice the weight of the shield. Because they figured, okay, the thought is, if this trainee can use this heavier item more skillfully, then he'll really be at a real advantage when we put this in his hands. Because this will seem like picking up a feather. And after they were trained extensively using the heavier weapons, then the soldiers would be paired against each other and they would train in combat techniques and moves. When I grew up as a 
junior high kid and maybe even in children's ministry, we would have these things. We don't have them anymore because we're too contemporary and we're too modern and we're too post-modern. We're too beyond Christianity. But we used to have these things in children's stuff when I was growing up and maybe even younger than that where we would do things called Bible drills. We've gotten too fancy for those, I guess. I hope not. I'm being facetious. The importance of training was also reflected in the amount of food that the soldiers would be, the trainees would be given. And their instructors would be heartily fed and the trainees would be given minimal rations and they would get in their combat battles and in their training to see how they could handle it. And as Christians, what Paul is trying to tell us here is we have to also be trained and be skillful in the use of the sword of the Spirit. In Hebrews chapter 5, he says it this way. The writer of Hebrews says this. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the first principles of the oracles of God. And you come to need milk and not solid food. For everyone who partakes only of milk is unskilled, untrained. It's kind of the wording there. In the word of righteousness, for he is a babe, but those who have solid food belong to those who are of full age. As I was studying this this week, some questions, you know, by now I like to write down questions. I wrote down some questions. Do I know where to go in Scripture if I'm depressed? Do I know where to go in Scripture if I'm discouraged? Do I know where to go in Scripture if I'm going through a storm in my life? Do I know where to find in Scripture if I have the opportunity and someone in front of me says, I want to come to know Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. Do I know where to go? See, the tendency in 2021 North American Christianity is to think, well, that's what the paid pastoral staff does. That's not what God's Word teaches. See, when we get into battle, on the battlefield, as soldiers in the army of God, guess what? We're all, it's, it's level. We're all doing battle together. I mean, we're right there beside each other. We're, I'm not any loftier. The enemy's not going to come at me just because I'm one of the pastors of Crossroads and just ignore you. Actually, he's probably going to come after you more than he is me. Because it's easy for a pastor or a minister to surround themselves in the Christian bubble of church work and, and forget that we are in a battle and maybe even remove ourselves sometimes much like David did. So I, I say this, some of you are looking at me inquisitively this morning. Smile, smile at your neighbor. It's all right. I'm saying this firmly, but I'm also saying it lovingly. If we were in a physical battle, and some of you have been in the military, and by the way, we just had Veterans Day this past week. If you've served in the armed forces, God bless you. Thank you. How ridiculous would it be for your commander to send you out into the frontline battle and just send you out in, in what I'm wearing right now with no ammunition, no tools? You would look at him and say, you go first. Well, how crazy would it be for... Jesus is our supreme commander and the King of kings and Lord of lords are one of the pastoral staff that has been placed here in this church body in authority over you to suggest that you do the same thing. And yet all across our land there are people who are claiming the word pastor and teacher and are sending their congregation out every single week to fight, if you'll forgive me, naked spiritually. 
And with their hands handcuffed behind their back. And then they wonder why their marriages implode. Or this happens or that happens. And by the way, those things can still happen. Even for the best of those who are following Jesus. Don't miss the point. But it's a lot harder when you're armed up. And you're wearing the full armor of God. For the enemy to take you out. I read a a story as we wrap up here that maybe is a good way to to ask you to examine your heart and for me to examine my heart. It's a story of a a butterfly, a botanist, and a bee. And it simply goes like this. The butterfly, as they watch the butterfly come into this area where there were a lot of flowers, the butterfly would light upon each flower just for a few minutes and fly away. And the botanist would come in and the botanist would look at all these beautiful plants and feverishly take notes about each plant and pick up the leaf of the flower and, oh wow, take notes. And he was just filling up a notebook full of all the details that he was gathering from looking at these beautiful plants and flowers. And yet there was this bumblebee. And the bumblebee would fly from flower to flower, except the bumblebee would go into the flower and stay in the flower for a while. And when it was totally full of pollen, then the bumblebee would come out. And when I was reading this illustration this week, I think it's great because the question was this, which one are you? Are you the butterfly? You kind of pop in for a worship service? Are you maybe pop in here or there and you go, oh, that's good. It's almost buffet style Christianity. Oh, that sounds good. That'll help me. And you kind of flitter away and fly away. Are you like the botanist? Well, maybe you, you come into worship and you're feverishly taking notes and you're in small group and you're taking notes and you're, you're diving into every Bible study you can and you get it in your notebook and then you close your notebook and it kind of sits on the shelf. Are you like the bumblebee? that When you come to worship, are you getting an opportunity to, to get with your friends in your small group or your Sunday school class and study God's Word? Man, you go into that flower and you just... And you just suck in as much of that as you can. And you let it impact you. What a great illustration. I read it this week and I thought, I, w- I want to be like that bumblebee. I hope that's the prayer of your heart. This morning, we're going we're gonna to end a little bit different. You say, what's new, Pastor Jack? I want to give you an opportunity and us collectively. We won't take a long time because we do have small groups but to honor the Word of God. And the way we're going to do this, we have a microphone down here. And maybe there's a verse of Scripture that's like, that's, that's your verse, maybe it's your life verse, maybe it's your verse for this week that, you, that you're, you're holding on to that. Like at the end of the rope with tie knot, I'm hanging on to that, I'm hanging on to God's Word. We're just going to lift up God's Word. Now just a couple of, Guides for you. We don't want commentary. We just want God's Word. We don't have time for each individual to read three chapters. But I'm going to invite you. And we won't rush, but we also won't cut it off if the Holy Spirit is working for you just to come up and just to share a scripture. If you need your Bible, great. If you got it memorized, that's great. Because folks, that's when I face the week, that's what I need.
I need the truth of God's word. So who wants to start this morning? Who would, who would lead us? Got a verse. Come up here if you would. And, and read a verse. And then if you'll quietly have a seat. and Let's honor the word of God this morning. Jeremiah 32, 27. Behold, I am the Lord, the God of all flesh. Is there anything too hard for me? Thou will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on thee. Can't tell you where it's from. Esther 4.14 For if you remain completely silent at this time, relief and deliverance will arise for the Jews from another place. But you and your father's house will perish. Yet who knows whether you have come to the kingdom for such a time as this. John 16.33 I have told you these things so that you, may be, so that you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart. I have overcome the world. Psalm 91, verse 1. He that dwelleth in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. Romans eight thirty eight. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation, will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Psalm 121, verse 1 and 2. I lift up my eyes into the mountains. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord and the maker of heaven and earth. He will not let your foot slip. He will not. He watches over you. He will not slumber. Indeed, he who watches over Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. First, Thess- First Thessalonians four, eleven and 12. Make it your goal to live a quiet life, minding your own business and working with your hands, just as we instructed you before. Then people who are not Christians will respect the way you live, and you will not need to depend on others. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. All things were made through him and without him. Nothing was made that has been made. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory. The glory is the only son of the father full of grace and truth. John 1, 1 through 3 and 14. Hebrews 12, 1 and 2. Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed with, about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which doth so easily beset us, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us. 
Romans 8, 28, and we know that all good things work together for good for those that love God and are called according to his purpose. I almost made it, Clark. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> John thirteen thirty four and 35. A new commandment I give unto you, that ye love one another as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this shall all men know that ye are my disciples, if you have love for one another. Romans 12, 1 and 2. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. First Corinthians thirteen thirteen. Three things shall last forever, faith, hope, and love, and the greatest of these is love. First Corinthians ten thirteen. There hath no temptation taken you, but such is common to man. But God is faithful who will not suffer you to be tempted above that ye are able, but will within the temptation almost always make a way to escape that ye may be able to bear it. I don't have my Bible with me, but I do have a great verse out of the Bible that I carry with me that every person in here can relate to and it's our job to let this verse go on for whosoever believeth calls upon the name of the Lord don't say maybe it says shall be saved that's what our job is and praise God that we got that opportunity Philippians 4, 6 says, don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Anybody else? Psalm 99, verses 1 through 5. The Lord reigns, let the people tremble. He is enthroned above the cherubim, let the earth shake. The Lord is great in Zion, and He is exalted above all peoples. Let them praise Thy great and awesome name. Holy is He. And the strength of the King loves justice. Thou hast established equity. Thou hast executed justice and righteousness in Jacob. Exalt the Lord our God and worship at His footstool. Holy is He. Holy is He. Let's pray together. Father, thank You. For the power of your word. Forgive us God when we. Neglect it. And by we I mean these friends and. Myself. 
because it is alive and active. It's powerful. It divides, it discerns, it's the guide for our lives. And it is a weapon against the enemy. So I pray, Lord, today that you would uh, empower us and remind us to pick up all the pieces of the armor of God. Most especially our offensive weapon, the sword of the Spirit. And to use it. Would you train us, God? That's why times like this are valuable. Times in small group is valuable. Prayers and fellowship with fellow believers is valuable because those are times that we are being trained, hopefully memorizing and meditating upon the Word of God, which is the offensive weapon that you've given us. Thank you, Lord. And this morning as you're praying, I don't know how the Holy Spirit would have you respond. Maybe, maybe this morning your commitment is just to say, Lord, I need to be in your Word more. Help me to do that. Maybe you need to recommit your life to Christ. Maybe today you need to come to know Jesus. And as Steve quoted for us, those who call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. If that's your intent and your heart's cry this morning, I'll be here at the front. I'm going to ask my friend Heath to come and stand with me. If you would love to plant your roots here at Crossroads, we would love to welcome you here to be a part uh, officially of this church. If that's your desire, as we sing this song of invitation, I pray that you would respond as God leads. Would you do that? Would you stand with me this morning? Joey's going to lead us in a song, and you respond as the Lord leads you today. We hope you've been challenged and inspired from today's message from Crossroads. You can find out more about the message you have heard today by visiting our website, hope at crossroads.org. If you live in the upstate South Carolina area and you're looking for a church home, we hope you'll come by and visit sometime. Details about our church and service times can also be found online. The last year has been one of chaos and confusion, and we know many have become isolated and lonely. You can get Pastor Jack's new book, The Loneliness Solution, Finding Meaningful Connection in a Disconnected World, a great resource that will help you or you can give to a friend who might be struggling. This resource is also available at hope at crossroads.org. Thanks again for listening, and we hope you'll tune in again next week.